Hi, I'm Scott, and welcome to Episode 2 of Child in Time, a podcast about growing up in the 60s. Maybe, like me, you were there. Or you might just be interested in that crazy old decade. In the 60s, we had a very active, outdoorsy kind of childhood. Endless summer days, growing up under the relentless Australian sun. We reminisce about it when we're sitting in the waiting room at the dermatologist before it's our turn to go in and have our precancerous or worst parts of skin cut out and burnt off. Thus is the legacy of countless hours in the sun with no sunscreen at all. Many parents would admiringly say at the time, Oh, look at the children. They're as brown as berries. Little did we know. But today we're talking about when we were inside watching TV. In the 60s, Australian TV was still taking baby steps towards the towering artistic achievements that we can all now enjoy. Shows like Married at First Sight, Love Island, any number of shows where people cook stuff till they get booted off for not cooking it properly, or shows where the people try to fix up houses in a very melodramatic way. True art. Television started in Australia in September 1956. Very few people had TVs when it first started. A standard black and white 23-inch set cost roughly as much as what you'd pay for the price of a small car. TVs were large pieces of furniture. The top of the set only came up to about waist high. And the screen was about the size of a basketball hoop that had tried to make itself into a square shape, but didn't quite make it. All black and white, of course. Australia didn't get colour TV until 1975 one of the last first world nations to do so. We got a TV when I was about eight, I think. There were always warnings for children not to sit too close to the TV because it will ruin your eyes and you'll have to wear glasses. For a time, I thought that anyone wearing glasses must have spent too much time sitting too close to a television. Both Gran and Grandad wore glasses, and they didn't even have a TV. Or so they said. Until 1965, there was only three channels in the main capitals, the ABC, Channels 9 and 7. Then Channel O started in Melbourne, and Channel 10 in Sydney. A 1965 TV guide I was perusing recently revealed that channels 7 and 9 didn't even start broadcasting until about lunchtime. The ABC started earlier in the day with kids' programs and the channels would shut down before midnight. Now, the TV set itself demanded that the viewer front the set in person in order to turn it off and on, or to change channel. Remote controls were many years away. 
The dial to change channel was usually a rotary dial. But these had a habit of breaking after a while, so many TVs had a pair of pliers on top, which you used to grasp, grasp the central metal spindle when you needed to switch programs. And because the sets were run by valves and weren't transistorized, you had to wait for the thing to warm up before a picture emerged. Commercial breaks during kids' programs, or any program really, often featured ads that encourage us to light up a Viscount, spark up a Peter Stuyvesant wherever the jet routes meet, or take a ride into Marlboro country. It wasn't shown here, but even Fred Flintstone advertised Winston cigarettes in the USA. I'll put a link in the show notes if you don't believe me. Cigarette advertising on Australian TV wasn't banned for good until 1976. Let's talk about some of the shows. We only have time to discuss a few, and I probably won't mention your favourite. And for that, I just want to say... Nothing, really. No, 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 no. We can do this again if you like. For many kids and adults, the original and most iconic hero was Superman. Strange visitor from another planet. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. More powerful than a locomotive, etc., etc. George Reeves was the star of, and to give it its full and proper name, The Amazing Adventures of Superman. Superman, of course, is still very much with us today in movies and comics where he triumphs over evil and repeatedly saves us all. There have been many different actors, vastly different villains and budgets, but one thing has always remained the same. Whoever has the rare privilege of playing Superman, the Man of Steel, each and every one of them wears their underpants on the outside. We loved watching the half-hour Superman episodes. It was all repeated so often, we got to know many episodes off by heart. Just great. Who did not tie a towel around their neck as a cape and play Superman? Yeah, yeah. Although uh, I hardly ever do it now. Even as a child, though, there were some aspects of the Superman oeuvre that I could not fully understand. Firstly, the fact that he wore glasses when he was Clark Kent totally fooled everyone that he was Superman, even though he had the same voice, same hairstyle, same everything. I found a pair of glasses once when walking home from school. I thought if I put them on before I walk in, Mum would have no idea who I was. Not only did she recognise me immediately, she berated me for wearing someone else's glasses, a practice that we were always told would lead to an instant and permanent case of being cross-eyed by life. Then there was the fact that Superman wore his costume under his suit. There were many scenes wearing a diddy shirt to reveal his costume underneath. But what about the big cape? 
Where did he put that? If he tucked it up the back of his shirt, he would have looked more like Quasimodo than a mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet. And lastly, again about his costume, his costume, like Superman himself, was invulnerable and indestructible. His adoptive mother, Mrs Kent, said she made the costume from the blanket Superman was wrapped in when he arrived by rocket from Krypton as a baby. Well, Mrs Kent, that must have been a real top-of-the-line singer sewing machine to run up his suit for him. Mm, yeah. Look, if there's any Superman expert out there who can explain these conundrums, please contact me. Moving on. In 1965, there was a show that was not just popular. It was an absolute phenomenon. When the star of the show came to Australia to do a series of shows in Sydney and Melbourne, it was akin to Beatlemania. In fact, 7,000 people, well, mainly kids, turned out to greet him at Essendon Airport. That's more than were there when the Beatles arrived in 1964. Yeah, mm. For younger listeners, the Beatles were a pop group active in the 1960s. They made pop music like pop groups you might listen to today, only the Beatles were a lot better. Now, what phenomenon was am I talking about? Of course, it's The Samurai, the very first Japanese series to be shown in Australia it made us all into ninjas as we followed the exploits of Shintaro, his mate Tombei the Mist, and the little orphan boy Shusaku. Set in feudal Japan, it followed Shintaro as he battled the evil ninjas, always emerging victorious. The thing about the samurai was it was so, it was just so, well, so different. All the ninja tricks, like jumping backwards into trees, walking on water, throwing blinding powder and star knives. We just loved it. Scanlan's put out samurai chewing gum packs containing cards to collect. If you got the whole set of cards, and that took quite a bit of pocket money, let me tell you. The reverse of the cards could be arranged to make a glorious pin-up poster of Shintaro himself. We all dressed as ninjas, and we all seemed to have an affinity for the bad guys. They were just so cool. We had sticks, swords, star knives made from the tops of tin cans. And we all gave ourselves Japanese names. I remember I was called Toyota. The show was so stunningly successful that another channel started a show of similarly... Uh, simile- <laughs> Similar show, poorly dubbed, very much along the same lines. It was called Bantam Agents. They were a crime-fighting unit with swords and many ninja skills. But the big difference was that it was set in the modern day. Well, modern day, mid-60s. The Phantom Agents were always trying to foil their evil nemesises, the black flags of Smeg Z. The black flags always wore black... Of course, and they were bad dudes to be sure. Now, the Black Flags had a peculiar condition of employment that was interesting. When you joined this criminal network, you agreed to have a small bomb implanted in your abdomen. 
if subsequently you did the wrong thing, the black flags, or probably someone in the black flag HR department, could just blow you up remotely. This happened to several black flags in various episodes. Mm. There did not seem to be any provision for the employee to say, go on long service leave, take leave without pay, or be performance managed. No, just boom. Skippy the bush kangaroo was a huge success, not just here, but internationally as well. Skippy was a hyper-intelligent animal. In fact, Skippy remains the only marsupial to join Mensa, the organisation for the very, very bright. There was nothing Skippy could not do. Solving crimes, saving dim-witted bushwalkers, beating the park rangers at chess, everything. What a mammal that girl was. After the series ended in 1970, regrettably, Skippy went the way of so many stars when their career drops away. She was seen in all the trendy nightclubs, had a series of short-lived, high-profile romances, and she lost her licence for two years after crashing a Porsche one night when she was off her scone on eucalyptus. Two years suspension. Two years. Kangaroo Cordor, what? Meanwhile, over on the ABC, the first series of Doctor Who was broadcast on Australian TV in January 1965. It really gathered momentum in series two when we saw the introduction of the Daleks. Daleks were both terrifying and fascinating at the same time. They were inspired by the Nazis, and they were all about order and destruction, like big, murderous pepper pots with robotic voices. I was genuinely scared of them. You know, when you ask people, if you had a dinner party and you could invite anyone at all, Alive or dead, hardly anyone says they would invite a Dalek. And if you did, you need a ramp to get to the dining room because, of course, Daleks could not climb stairs. And uh, while we're talking science fiction, Mr. Spock, you must watch Star Trek. And if you don't, you must be out of your Vulcan mind. Yes, Star Trek, another 60s show that stormed numerous movies and spin-off series, and even the language of Klingon. Shakespeare and other works of literature have been translated into Klingon. Gee, some people must have a lot of time on their hands, if you ask me. Now, I'm going to read something. It is a song. But I think it lends itself to the spoken word. So settle back, relax, and close your eyes. Uh, Look, it just occurred to me that you might be driving while listening to this. So if you are, please ignore the 
close your eyes a bit, please. Okay. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. That, of course, was from the Battle of Gilligan's Island. Oh, yes. The professor, he could make and concoct just about anything the castaways needed. Anything at all. Everything except figuring how to repair a small boat. Then there were the cartoons, the Bugs Bunny show, Huckabee Hound, Yogi Bear, Wally Gator, Rocky and Bullwinkle, the Flintstones, um, using the same template, the Jetsons. And there were lots of others. So many, many happy hours spent lying on the floor in front of the TV before mum or dad took control of the pliers and watched their boring stuff. And uh, to let you into a little secret, I used to scoot quite close to the TV when mum and dad went around. And I don't need to wear glasses. Thank you for listening. Please do me a favour, like and follow the show. Please tell at least one other person who might enjoy it so we can spread the word. And now I have a website. It is uh, www.childintime, lowercase one word, childintime.life. So that's quite exciting. So you can contact me via that. So again, thanks for listening and uh, we will talk soon.